Dear Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, it's a word about ordinary people. It's about people being used by you in a different time, different locations, but Lord, you still want to use us today. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your amazing grace toward us. As we spend time looking at your word, Lord, teach us just something new, we pray, so that we can take it away from this service to live out for your glory. Amen. Amen. So if you have a a Bible uh, in front of you or around near you, um, if you'd like to look up Jonah, um, he's in the Old Testament, um, and it was a book that was written about 770 uh, BC. And this summer, during August, we're looking at... We're looking at um, Old Testament prophets. So we've looked at Joel. We looked at Amos. Andy Kitto spoke about Amos last week. Um, I'm doing Jonah this week and Micah next week. And you could say, oh, Ian, you've chosen the easy one. It's the fishy story. You know, some of you may well know uh, this story. Um, hands up those of you who actually are very familiar or who have heard the story at Sunday school. Let's have a show of hands. Who's heard the story at Sunday school? Right, a good number of you. Excellent. All right. So I'm not going to repeat the story, but I'm going to just share with you that when you read through this story, it's all about um, Jonah's actions and reactions. It really is a story about, a story about Jonah and God. But just somehow there's this giant fish that appears just for a glimpse, just for a short glimpse in this whole four chapters. Now Jonah, for me, I'm going to be uh, sharing with you Jonah's path, his prayer, his proclamation and his perspective. We're just going to glimpse at just some of those four things. Now Jonah's name actually means dove. means dove. Now, before we get to Jonah and the story of the fish, I want just for a moment to just take a moment to say that Jonah was a prophet. Now, we don't know exactly how he received these words, whether they were a vision, a burden, but they definitely was a word that was given to him as a prophet that he then had to speak out to people. And he was used by God. Now, just before we leap into Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, I wanted just to sow this seed with you and for you. And I want you, please, to have a look at, if you could, please, 2 Kings 14 and verses 23 to 25. And for me, that's in the, going towards the front of the Bible, if you've got one. And what I want to try and explain to you, before we actually hear this story of Jonah issuing this sort of call for 40 days to Nineveh to repent, this word from God, he actually spent 40 years, 40 years underneath the reign of Jeroboam II. And I want you to sort of try to get this into your mind and my mind, if you can, please. Because... He, in actual fact, was an extremely successful prophet. And if you read in 2 Kings 15, it says, In the 15th year 
of Amaziah, son of Joseph, sorry, Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo, Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amity, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So you say, thank you, Ian, for reading from 2 Kings, okay, uh, chapter uh, 14. But the important thing is this. If you look at the map here, you can see that um, Israel then was actually divided into um, two kingdoms, both the north and the south. I think Andy mentioned this last week. Did he? Yeah, hopefully. And what I wanted just to share with you now, it was because of Jonah's obedience in passing on the word of God to the people, the natural fact, Israel, the northern part, actually expanded and there was a success under Jeroboam because God's word was heard in the days of Jeroboam II and you can see it sort of expanding up there further up to the north. And you can see there on the side of there's a little place called Joppa, which we'll just go to briefly in a moment, because we know that, in actual fact, Jonah left from Joppa to go to Tarshish. But it's important, before we actually get to looking at this story of Jonah, just for 40 days, in the background, for 40 years, he brought words from the Lord of blessing and of comfort to a people who were not right before God. So he kept on calling them back and said, the Lord will bless you if you do this. Now, we don't have those words, but we have the result. We have the expansion. We have the success of the northern territories in Israel. And that's really important before we look at this story of Jonah. So we're going to read now Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. The Lord gave the message to Jonah, to the son of, Am- son of Amity. And here we have the word of the Lord... And it got to the great city of Nineveh. And this is a picture here of of Nineveh back in the day. So we're talking about the capital city of Assyria. Now Assyria was known for doing dastardly deeds. It was a cruel, cruel system. And they did all sorts of things to people, which I don't want to go into publicly now, but they basically, at one point, they impaled people. And you can see up there some of the, like the inscriptions up there. But they did some really nasty things to people. And so they were disobedient. This was a, uh, a city that, if you like, had their own governance, but they obviously raided other nations around them. But I do want to just sort of say to you that we know this story. If we begin to read in chapter 1, the path of Jonah in chapter 1, We know that uh, Jonah had 40 years of blessing. God has now given to Jonah this task to go to Nineveh. And because he knew their history in Assyria, basically he did not want to go. 
And so he went, in his own mind, he thought that he would flee away from God. He would go to some other place where God was not present. Now, as a Christian, I believe in the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. There's nowhere we can go without God. And so we've got Jonah saying to himself, well, I'm going to go on a boat. And we've read that story through this morning. But then it says the Lord sent a great wind. And we're going to now go onto the boat. And we're going to see that the sailors had their own beliefs or no beliefs in God. And they had their own gods. And they prayed to their gods. But we know that Jonah went, if you like, to probably over to a place called Tarshish, which is the south of Spain, on this boat. Now, how far he got on the boat, I don't know. But let's put it this way. He went basically what he thought was in the wrong direction. He went on his own. But to go from Jerusalem over to Nineveh in a, to, uh, to Assyria, it wasn't really very far. It was about 500 miles. But to go to Tarshish, we're talking about 2,500 miles on the sea. So you can get the picture that he's going quite clearly the wrong way. But I want to just mention about the path. Okay, the path of Jonah. Because at the end of the day, I want us to reflect on what path are we on? Where are we going? And where am I going? What path am I on? So Jonah is on the ship. People are worried and we know the story full well. But he stands there and he says... I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. But he doesn't say, I'm obedient. He says, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and land. And at this point, the people on the boat are really worried because they know that this Hebrew, they know that Jonah believes in God, the Lord. And, you, and we read out this morning that they were crying out to God, what do we do? And Jonah offers up himself. And he says, throw me overboard. Now, even while the boat is going towards Tarshish, he's thinking he's going away from God. He offers up himself and they throw him overboard. And one of the interesting things that I began to read was in verse 16. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Even on the ship, men came to faith in God, even though Jonah was in what appeared to be the wrong place. God still spoke through Jonah on his path toward Tarshish. And then we read... Later on, that the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside for three days. And if you read in verse 17. And some people attribute those three days to quite possibly being when Jesus, on Good Friday, he died and then he rose again on the third day. Some rabbis have even done, had some discussions about the journey that this fish took and they've actually just worked out and plotted a route that after Jonah actually was cast into the sea as to where the actual fish went. But I want to ask us a, a question this morning. For you and I, 
Is this story of Jonah an allegory? Is it uh, a parable? Or is it a true story? So an allegory, for most people, means that it could be a nice little story with a spiritual meaning, a deeper meaning. Is this story of Jonah a parable? Because you know Jesus taught in parables. Well, in parables that Jesus taught, there were no miracles. But there are miracles in Jonah. And this is a question for us. Is it a true story for you and for me? And for me, I'm going to conclude that it's a real story and that it really happened. So we've looked at Jonah's path. We've looked at Jonah going off where he thought was right, away from God, but yet God, through the set of different circumstances, brought himself, brought himself and also others to faith, even though that he thought he was in the wrong place. So now we move on to Jonah's prayer. And this is where, quite possibly, if this was going to be a blockbuster of a film, okay, was it not, was it uh, Pinocchio who ends up in a fish? Does he not? Does he not? Yeah, I think he does. But this is where I know Disney and all these other film companies would just love the story of Jonah. A, because it's a man on a mission, and B, quite possibly, they could really go to town on this one. But I want you just for a moment to think about Jonah's prayer. We know that he is inside this fish. And I just want to sort of give you a question. Does Jonah die inside the fish? Or does the fish keep him alive and then spits him out at the end? I want to leave you with that question to think and work out for yourself. But Jonah's prayer is absolutely amazing. He actually quotes the psalmist. And he says, In my distress, I called on the Lord from the depths of the grave. And that idea of a grave means Sheol. Now, I haven't got with me um, one of these snow globes. But if you can imagine in my hand, I've actually got a snow globe. And if you can imagine the canopy that goes over the snow globe. Does anybody actually not know what a snow globe is? Excellent. All right. So if you shake it, you can see the snow and the stuff sort of filling around and sort of going around it. But the Jewish idea was that the idea was that the earth was flat and that you could see the mountains and the towns. And with the snow globe, okay, with this sphere around the earth, there was this idea that Sheol was the place in the deep where we go to. It's where God is not. And it talks about the foundations of the earth. It talks about being in the deep. And the question is, does Jonah actually die in the fish? And now I don't know what, if you've got a picture in your mind of this story of, if you like, the fish catching Jonah as he enters the water. And then he swims around, in, or the fish swims around with Jonah inside. But in the picture that I read in the Bible, it says, in verse 4, it says, I have been banished from your sight, 
Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. This is Jonah's prayer from within inside the fish. And then he goes on to say, To the roots of the mountains I sank down. And I... And it says, The earth beneath the bearer, okay, I will be there forever. But I then, you hear Jonah singing in this prayer. In verse 9 he says... I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. And he concludes his prayer by singing out, Salvation comes from the Lord. I don't know about you if that encouraged you this, this morning, that our salvation comes from the Lord. It's God who saves us. And it talks about in this prayer about being away from God and being banished, to being in the depths. This is a prayer of penitence and of praise, but I think it's a prayer of connection. Most definitely, you hear God actually answering um, Jonah's prayer. And if you read Psalm 89, it says... 18, uh, sorry, 88 in verse 6, he says, You have put me in the lowest pit. This is from the psalmist David. He says, You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me, and you have overwhelmed me with your waves. You have taken me from my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. And I call to you, O Lord, every day, and I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? And so here you've got Jonah inside the fish. He is praying to the living God to save him. And he cries out, salvation, salvation comes from the Lord. So that's looking at the path and the prayer. And now we come to Jonah's proclamation. But Ian, you said to me that this man was on a mission. You're absolutely right. Now it says in uh, chapter 3 and verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. So there are three proclamations. There's one that God is going to give to Jonah because he's going to, this is the word of the Lord now within the book of Jonah. And you can read it in chapter 3 and verse 4, and it says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So that's the word of the Lord that we have written in Jonah. So this is now the proclamation 40 days, God is going to judge and destroy Nineveh. And so we've got Jonah who knows what the Assyrians are like. But we know that the city is quite a large city. It says it's three days to walk across. But within a day, he gets to the center and he delivers that message and he is obedient. And then there is a, a proclamation from the king to the people. And you can read that in verse seven in chapter three. It says, then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. So he issued a decree. He knows that if people do not repent, then God is going to destroy Nineveh. 
But then there's almost a, a proclamation. He's saying, through his words, let everyone call urgently on God. And that's what this king does. He asked his people, and the people respond to Jonah's words. And here you have, in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them a destruction that he had threatened. So here we've got a wonderful proclamation, having Jonah been inside the fish, but this idea of salvation is very important. And I want you just to turn back, just for a moment, to, if you can, into um, Exodus chapter 34. And we find that Moses goes up and receives the Ten Commandments. And they're destroyed, and then they're remade again. And sometimes we actually maybe don't always think that God is with us. But God is with us through everything that we say and we do. And in Exodus chapter 34, we've got Moses who goes up to Mount Sinai. And then God appears to Moses and he says these words. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who is slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Isn't that a wonderful thought today? That we have a God who is gracious, who is forgiving, who is patient, and who is kind. But the key thing is, is that the people repented. They asked God to forgive their sins. And it was through Jonah's proclamation and as Jonah goes into that city, and we know the result, we now come to probably, which is quite probably the most moving chapter of all, Jonah's perspective. I said to you at the start of today's talk that in actual fact, Jonah had preached a blessing and a comfort on the northern part of Jerusalem for 40 years. For 40 days... He sat and thought about what would God do? What would God do? And now he almost turns to anger. And I said earlier on that he was the most successful prophet out. But in chapter 4, Jonah's perspective and our perspective, I think, hopefully, will change and just see that God sees all. He loves all. He has no favourites. And you can see here, you read it in Jonah, it says, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life. Take my life. He was angry because he knows that God is a God who is merciful, who is gracious, but the words that actually he heard himself was that he just wasn't a prophet for the nation. He was someone who was speaking out on behalf of God to a message that would spread around the world. 
And it's very interesting to see that God even gave a little, um, what was called a castor oil plant for him to bring shade when he was outside of the city wall. And he even goes on to say, I'm angry enough to die. I'm angry enough to die. But yet the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you do not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight. And of all the prophetic books, this prophetic book ends with a question. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. It ends with a question. And Jonah is saying, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And there it is. There's a question mark. And if you turn to Matthew's Gospel and uh, chapter 12, Jesus was being asked a question by the Pharisees, and it links back to Jonah. And I want to read it to you, because there's, there's some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. We want to see something miraculous. And then Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Going back to Assyria, going back to the people who were on uh, the boat, we're all asking for a sign, for something miraculous. But none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and for three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is pointing back to Jonah. And Jonah points forward to not just to Nineveh to repent for 40 days, but they did. What they actually did was that they actually did something that even now people would cry out for. It says, even the men of Nineveh will stand up on the judgment with this generation to condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now no one greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus, the Son of God, actually refers back to Jonah. Because we don't really know very much about Jonah at all. We just know that his father was called Amity. But we've looked this morning at Jonah's path, his proclamation, and his, and, uh, his perspective, and his prayer. But I've got a question for you this morning. What's your path? What's your prayer? What's your proclamation? What are we saying? And what's your perspective? I want to just share with you in a brief moment the path that I have gone on is trusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord. My prayer is that I know that my salvation comes from God. My message is this, that it is a message for all. And what is my perspective? That Jesus Christ one day will come back again for all. So what can we learn from Jonah? Jonah was gracious, he was forgiving, and he was compassionate. And I want to encourage us today to go out from here just giving thanks to God for the path that he has opened up for you and for me. To go and praise him and thank him for the prayers that he answers for us. 
to go out from here proclaiming this good news. But this perspective isn't just for us, this good news, it's for others. Because God has an amazing grace for all. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for Jonah. Lord, we thank you for his life. We thank you for all the experiences that he went through. Lord, for those 40 years where he was going to bless under Jeroboam II and knew, Lord, that you would hear your, he would hear your prayers. Lord, we thank you that we are a people who want to be obedient today to your word. Lord, may it be a, a joy to live for you to walk in your ways, to know, Lord, that you're answering our prayers as we go walking with you day by day. Lord, we want to give you all the glory and the honour for what you are saying and doing in and through us. For it's Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.